Now, before Pastor Brandon comes this morning to introduce this new sermon series to us that we're beginning today, and I pray for him during this time, and I, I have a graphic here I want you to see. I, I think we've got it. Do we have the, yeah, there we go. You know, as I look at this graphic, when I saw it the first time, I thought, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of my job as an elder in the church, teaching you the Word of God. Because on the left, your left, there's about 40 or so ping pong balls in that little jar. And that 40 ping pong balls to me represented how many opportunities I have per year to teach you the Word of God as your elder, your teaching elder. When I looked at that other one, all of those ping pong balls, what I saw was how many times per year you are hearing a false teacher teaching you a lie or a deception of some kind, whether it's coming through social media or whether it's coming through TV or whether it's coming through movies or whether it's coming through education or somewhere. That's the number of times that you're going to hear false teaching, and that's the number of opportunities I'm going to have to tell you what the truth is from God's Word. You know, that means this time right now is critical. That's what it means to me. If any elder takes their job seriously, this time is absolutely critical for us to really listen to the person that God has appointed for us to hear the word from. And so I want you right now to pray that God will speak to you. Take this time very seriously. And I believe that God will speak to you personally. There's going to be a sermon preached. It's going to have a text. But the Holy Spirit is alive. And he's going to take that sermon and that text, and he's going to say something personally to you if you'll listen. He does it to me every Sunday, and I write it down in my book when I'm listening. Whatever he's saying to me, I write it down. Let's pray together, and let's ask God's blessing on this time. Holy Spirit, right now, just take the sermon, the text of Scripture, from which that sermon is going to be derived from, and I pray right now that each one of us that's here will personally hear your voice speak to us for our lives through this sermon. Put your hand upon Brandon, upon Nathan, as they come to deliver your word to us in the midst of this most difficult and evil generation in which we live. Lord, have your way with each one of us through the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. After Jesus was baptized, he went into the wilderness to, uh, for over a month. He went to pray and fast day and night. But, uh, you know, Satan, he tried to put up a fight, but Jesus would not concede. Um, with the power and the might of the Spirit, then that's really all he needed. So um, even though Satan tried to impede, Jesus let the Spirit lead. Um, after this, he went into Galilee, and um, when he was there, then he preached to the people. He said, the kingdom of heaven 
is here. And uh, the people heard that because he went there to fulfill what the prophet had said. The prophet said, there's a people living in darkness and they had seen a great light. And so Jesus told them the truth, the gospel of the kingdom to save them out of the darkness of night. After that, he called his first disciples. He said to them, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And these first disciples, they left everything. They gave up their homes, their families. They gave up their jobs to follow him. They were hoping that he would teach them how to win. After this, Jesus, uh, with his boys beside him, he went into uh, Galilee and all throughout Galilee. After that, he, uh, people heard about Jesus and they started bringing him everyone who was suffering from different types of maladies. And he healed them of their sicknesses. He went into their places of worship and he preached the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, his fame grew so rapidly that everyone who had a disease, they started bringing to Jesus. The sickness, uh, all, every type of sickness, every type of malady, every type of disease, then they brought them to Jesus. Anybody who was afflicted, anybody who had um, paralysis or any type of sickness, they brought him to Jesus, and Jesus healed them all. And when Jesus saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down. When he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened up his mouth, and he spoke to them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are you when you hunger and you thirst for righteousness' sake. You will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and they persecute you. And they say, all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, can it be salted again? No, it's good for nothing and is thrown out and trampled under the feet of people. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men take a candle and put it under a basket, but they put it on a candlestick so that it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before everyone that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Thank you, King Jesus, for these words. Thank you that in these words you reveal to us your teachings. Thank you for your intent that your teachings would transform our hearts and our lives. Thank you, Lord, that in this opening to this incredible sermon that you brought, that we see in these words what the very life of God looks like when it's lived out in a person. Thank you, Jesus, that you are that person, that you are God in human flesh. And now I pray, Lord, that you would change us, that you would transform us this morning through the power of your word, through the preaching of your word. Lord, move in our hearts. Help us to see who you are. Help us to live for your glory and draw us to be closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Amen. What you just heard is the introduction to Jesus' most famous sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount, and if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, would you open with me to Matthew chapter 5, because it's there that you can find in your Bible this introduction. Now, it's just the introduction in Matthew chapter 5 in these opening verses. This is not only the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, but this Sermon on the Mount is the most extensive sermon that we have in all of the Bible from Jesus. And he expounds on his ways, on his teachings. The introduction to the Sermon on the Mount is known commonly as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are those blessed are those statements at the beginning of that sermon. The Beatitudes set the stage for the rest of this sermon. Here's what, here's what I mean by that. In the introduction, Jesus just gives these incredible statements, powerful statements, but he doesn't explain them very much. But in the rest of his sermon, what we can see is Jesus illustrating these beatitudes all through his sermon, what it looks like to live the kingdom way, what it looks like to pattern your life after the king, what it looks like to live the way that God would live, that God did live, in human flesh through his son, Jesus. So the Beatitudes provide this introduction, and then the rest of the sermon illustrates these Beatitudes. But it's not only the sermon that illustrates the Beatitudes. Yes, Jesus illustrates them in the sermon. But in other places, in Jesus' teaching, he illustrates these Beatitudes. In the way Jesus lived his life, he illustrates these beatitudes in the things that his disciples learned from him and in the way they lived their lives. These beatitudes are illustrated. And in the things that his disciples taught others, these beatitudes are illustrated. It makes these beatitudes very important. Because in these beatitudes, what I'm saying about them is that when we look at these Beatitudes and we look at Jesus and we look at his disciples as they follow him, we see the life of God being lived out in a person. We get this real world object lesson so that it's not this vague idea or these blessing statements that are good, but well, they're not expounded on. No, they are expounded on. 
They're expounded on in the teachings and life of Jesus and in the teachings and the lives of his disciples. So these Beatitudes are very important, and that's where the Sermon on the, Beat- on the, on the Mount begins. There's nine Beatitudes in this passage, in this introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Over the next several weeks, we'll look at one beatitude, about one beatitude each week, and we will consider how Jesus illustrates this beatitude in the sermon, but how it's also illustrated in all these other ways. So next week, we're going to look at the first beatitude. But before we start into this sermon and start looking at each beatitude and look at how they're illustrated, we need to pause for just a second and not gloss over the first two verses of this chapter. We need to consider not just the sermon, but we need to consider who is preaching this sermon. Because the preacher of this sermon is of immense importance. We need to consider Jesus as teacher. Jesus is known as a great teacher. We need to consider the intent of his teaching. What was Jesus trying to accomplish through his teaching? What was his goal? What was his hope in how his teaching would impact those who heard his words? What did he hope his teachings would accomplish in the life of his disciples? And yes, I'm talking about those few that Nathan mentioned that he called and that came and sat at his feet, but I'm not just talking about them. I'm talking about you, and I'm talking about me. What did he hope his teachings would accomplish in our lives? You see, because in Matthew 4, 18, which Matthew 4 is the background you heard Nathan share this morning, Matthew 4, 18 tells us that in the earliest days of his ministry, Jesus was already traveling to different cities all through the region of Galilee to teach. It was from the very beginning. He launched his ministry and he was teaching. He was proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom of God. He was teaching in their synagogues, in their houses of worship. And then in Matthew 5, 1 through 2, it's right there in front of you. The context for the Sermon on the Mount is set. It's right there in your Bible. You can read it. Matthew 5, 1 through 2. And Jesus saw the multitudes and he went up to the mountain And when he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. That's how he responded when he saw the crowds. You know, we shouldn't breeze by this context or this decision from Jesus concerning his most famous sermon. Jesus saw the crowds, and of all the things he could have decided to do, His decision was to teach. That's what Jesus decided to do. Why is that? Why did Jesus respond to the crowds with teaching? What was Jesus' intent in his teaching? What did he hope his teaching would accomplish? To really appreciate this sermon that we're going to be looking at through this series, we should not start by looking at the sermon itself. We should start by looking at the preacher. We should start by looking at the teacher. We should start by looking at the great teacher, Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to consider three things about Jesus as teacher. And if you're taking notes this morning, these would be the three things that the rest of the sermon will follow. 
The first thing we'll consider is the humanity of Jesus. Jesus as a Jewish rabbi. The next thing we'll consider is the deity of Jesus. That his lordship, he is God. We'll consider Jesus as the God-man. And then finally we'll consider the call of Jesus. And it's a call to follow me. So this is where this sermon's going this morning, so you can follow along with me, and we're going to jump right into this first one, the humanity of Jesus, Jesus as a Jewish rabbi. So here's an important statement. I don't know what you've been taught about Jesus and his identity, but I want you to make sure that you note these things this morning. Concerning the humanity of Jesus, Jesus is 100% man. He's not 50% man. He's not 85% man. He's not 99% man. Jesus is 100% man. And as a man, he chose to take on a title. The title was the title of Jewish rabbi. The word rabbi means teacher. Jesus chose to take on the title of teacher. He didn't have to take on that title. He chose to take on that title. His title was rabbi. He was known as rabbi. Now, Jesus was not the only Jewish rabbi in his day. The rabbinical tradition was very well established by the time Jesus arrived on the scene. And Jewish rabbis of Jesus' day were known as teachers. The common practice for rabbis was to formulate a set of teaching. They would collect this set of their teaching that was based on the law of God, and then they would share it with their students or with their disciples. So when Jesus called disciples to follow him, this wasn't exclusively unique to Jesus. Other rabbis were teachers, and they had students or disciples who would follow them. So they formulate these teachings. They would call their disciples to follow them. Some of the rabbis honored God's law better than others. There were some rabbis who were very close in their alignment with the law and the heart of God. There were some rabbis whose teaching was really heretical. It didn't follow the heart or the law of God at all. A rabbi's fame would grow as his teachings became more famous. The more famous the teaching, the more famous the rabbi. The desire of a Jewish rabbi was that their teaching would not only be heard, follow this, they wanted their teaching to be heard. They didn't have social media like we had. They couldn't post a video and it go viral. It had to spread by word of mouth, but they wanted their teaching to be heard. They wanted people to hear it, but that wasn't their only aim. They wanted their teaching to be acknowledged as true. They wanted others to see the validity in what they were teaching, but that wasn't their only aim. For a Jewish rabbi, they wanted them to be heard, they wanted them to be acknowledged, but they wanted their teaching to be observed. And it was really in that last part, that observation of their teaching, that they were truly aiming at, because you see, the viewpoint of a, uh, a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, was that as others heard and acknowledged and observed their teaching, their life was perpetually multiplied through the lives of their disciples. Because when they heard the teaching of that rabbi and they accepted it and followed it, the teachings of that rabbi in that teaching was his life. 
and his life was now being lived through these other disciples. And as they had other people that they taught the teaching to, then those people were living that. And it was really this perpetual multiplying of the life of that rabbi in all these different contexts and in all these different identities and in all these different lives that their life, and, and really that's what the legacy of a rabbi was built upon. It was built upon how did these teachings grow and how many people were hearing and following these teachings. As a Jewish rabbi, Jesus desired that his teaching would have this kind of impact on people. And boy, has it. That his life would be multiplied through others. That through hearing his teaching, acknowledging his teaching, and observing his teaching, that the lives of people would be changed. Jesus desired that his teaching would have this impact on people. Consider what Jesus said about his teachings in Luke 6.40. He said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Jesus desired that his teachings would make people more like him that his life would be lived through them. Or how about the end of this Sermon on the Mount? It's in Matthew 7. At the very end, Jesus gives this illustration after sharing the Beatitudes and illustrating them all through all these different topics that he addressed. At the very end of the sermon, he says, if someone hears my teaching and observes them, that's the practice part, let me tell you what they're like. They are like a person who builds their house on a solid rock. And when the rains fall and the floods rise up and the winds come and pound against that house, that house stands firm. That's the man who hears my teaching and does them. And then he went on, but if anyone hears my teaching and does not observe them, does not do them, that person is like the man who builds his house on the sand. And when the rains fall and the floods rise up and the winds come and slam against that house, that house falls and how great its fall. Can you see Jesus' intent in his teaching? It's not just that we would hear them. It's not even that we would acknowledge them as truthful. It's that we would observe them. The wise man is the man who hears the words of Jesus and follows them. Hears the word of Jesus and does what he says. Clearly, Jesus did not want his teachings to fall on deaf ears. Sadly, often his teachings fall on deaf ears. But his intent, his desire, is that his teachings would be heard, accepted as true, and transform the way we live our lives. Do you realize that that's Jesus' intent for his teachings for you? That's what Jesus intends through his teachings. That his teachings would transform the way you live? He wants his teachings to change your life? That through hearing, accepting, and following his teaching, that his life would be multiplied through you? Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. This is one that we have memorized as a church. If you don't have this one memorized, you need to put this one to memory, right? This is the commission of Jesus. He's talking to his disciples and telling them, now that I've resurrected, what are you supposed to do? He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. 
part of the commission was that his disciples would not just receive the teaching for themselves, not just observe the teaching in their own life, but that they would go and teach other people what his teachings are so that they could observe them as well. Jesus' desire for you is that his teachings would transform your life and that you would pass his teachings on to others so that it would transform their lives. That's his intent. So Jesus is 100% man. In his humanity, he was a Jewish rabbi. And as a Jewish rabbi, Jesus desired that his words would have a profound impact on our lives, that his words would transform us, that his teachings would transform us. But now we have to move past just his humanity We need to consider the deity of Jesus, Jesus as the God-man. You see, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Jesus was a man, but he's unlike any other man or Jewish rabbi who has ever lived. Because not only is Jesus 100% man, but Jesus is 100% God. Not 50% God, not 85% God, not 99% God. He is God. He is God in human flesh. Jesus taught his disciples that that is who he is. One of my favorite passages on this is in John 14, 8 through 10. And Philip says to Jesus when they're in the garden and they're talking and, and Jesus is teaching them on the night of his crucifixion, Jesus says, I mean, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. I love Jesus' response. Philip, have you been with me this long and you still don't recognize me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What a response from Jesus. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus claimed to be one with the Father and that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. One of Jesus' disciples, the Apostle Paul, went on to state this very boldly. In Colossians 1, 15 and 19, the Apostle Paul writes, He, Jesus, is the very image of of the invisible God. You think God's invisible? Not anymore. He is the very image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then listen to this. In Him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is not just a Jewish rabbi. He is unique beyond imagination. He is unlike any other person who has ever lived. Because he is God, Jesus' teachings are entirely unique as well. They carry a sense of power and authority. In fact, after Jesus finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, listen to how people responded to his teaching. This is right after he shares that illustration of build your house on the rock. People hear all these teachings, this whole sermon that spans three chapters. And in Matthew 7, 28 through 29, people responded this way. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. 
man, we got to look at the teacher. Who he is has a tremendous amount of weight on what this sermon says. And how you see him and what you believe about him will determine the way you respond to his teaching. He taught with authority because he didn't just teach as a man. The very words of Jesus are the very words of God. The life of Jesus is the life of God. He is the word of God made flesh. In John 1.1, the apostle John wrote, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus said that he did not say anything except what he heard the Father saying. He said that in John 12, 49. Jesus said that he did not do anything except what he saw the Father doing. He said that in John 5, 19. Yes, as a rabbi, Jesus desired that his teachings would transform our lives. But as the God-man, his life provides the example for what the life of God looks like when it's lived out in human flesh. He is the very image of the invisible God. It makes his words and his behavior essential for those who acknowledge who he is, that he is King Jesus. So that's the humanity of God, 100%, I mean of Jesus, 100% man, the deity of Jesus, 100% God. Now we need to look at the call of Jesus. The call of Jesus in this passage is a call to follow me. If the words and example of Jesus are the words and the life of God, well then the question we need to ask is what does it take to be more like him. I mean, his words are God's words. His life is God's life. How can I be more like you, Jesus? That has got to begin to stir in us. We've got to begin thinking about that. Practically speaking, what does it take for our lives to be transformed into the image of Jesus? Well, there's a famous call of Jesus in Matthew 4:19. It is Jesus' call to his first disciples, and we know this verse very well in our church because we use this verse as the foundation for our definition of a disciple. Many of you know it. Put this up on the screen with me, and I want you to say it with me. Matthew 4, 19, as Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. We're familiar with that phrase, follow me, but did you know that that's not the first time that this phrase is used in the Bible? Did you know that this is a biblical phrase that is used in more than one place in the scriptures? To find the first time it was used, you actually have to go back to the Old Testament to the prophet Jeremiah. And the prophet Jeremiah, was, uh, God was speaking through this prophet to the nation of Israel when this phrase, follow me, was used for the first time. In Jeremiah 2, 1 through 2, we see it. The word of the Lord came to me, that's the prophet Jeremiah, saying, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. God 
the one true God, Yahweh, used this phrase, follow me, as he was addressing his people, Israel. That phrase, when you look at it, and you pay close attention to what it meant, that phrase, yes, it means do what I say, follow after me, be obedient, but listen, there's a lot more to this phrase. That phrase means cling to me, draw close to me, walk with me, become like me. When Yahweh was talking to Israel and said, follow me, he was saying, draw close, children. Be with me, children. Cling to me. Become like me. It was a call to proximity. It was a call to closeness. And I promise you that Jesus was aware of Jeremiah 2.2. And when he said, follow me, it was a nod to his deity. He knew that just as Yahweh had called the children of Israel into covenant relationship with him and closeness with him, now Jesus, the arbiter of this new covenant, was now calling those disciples into closeness with him, into proximity with him. Come be close to me. Come cling to me. Come walk with me. Come and be like me. It's a call to closeness. Jesus knew that our lives were not going to be transformed into his life by external factors alone. Here's what I mean. He's given us his teaching and all the authority and power. He's given us his example so that we could follow it and oh, the authority and the power as the image of the invisible God is made visible in him. But he didn't just provide these external resources for us to observe his life and try to become like him. I want you to know it doesn't work very well. We've got this sin problem in our flesh that can be pretty hard to overcome. Hey, impossible on our own strength. We need more help. And Jesus knew that. So he had this solution for us. Not only will I provide my teaching, not only will I provide my example, but I will call them to follow me. I will call them into close relationship with me. Don't you know that you become most like the people you hang around with? The people in your lives are the people that you become like. And he's saying, follow me. Be close to me. Cling to me. Walk with me. Become like me. That's why Jesus promised that in addition to his teaching and his example, he would send his Holy Spirit. He would give us the very life of God to come and dwell in us. Through his Holy Spirit, his words, his teaching, his life would continually dwell in us. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. It's unlike any other rabbi. It's like unlike any other man. In John 14, 15 through 17, Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's this imperative again, this idea of, oh man, keep my teachings. It's important to me. Do what I say. This is important to me. You show me your love for me as you do what I say, but he doesn't stop there. He continues on, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, uppercase H, to be with you forever, even the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, 
for he dwells with you, Jesus said to his disciples before his crucifixion. But then he prophesied and said, and will be in you. Jesus promised that his Holy Spirit would come and dwell in them, that the power of his Spirit would rest in them. Paul affirmed that this prophecy of Jesus has come to pass. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Within you. Paul's talking to the church and says, Listen, church, what Jesus said, his Holy Spirit will be in you, has come to pass. He is in you. It's not just through his teachings. It's not just through his example that we become like Jesus. It's in proximity in relationship with him through this call, follow me. And how much closer can you get to a person than them being in you and you in them? And that is what Jesus says about who we are and who he is and his power in us. You want to become like Jesus? Listen to his teachings. You want to become like Jesus? Observe his example. You want to become like Jesus? He must be in you and you must be in him. That's where the power comes from. Jesus is calling. He's saying, follow me. Do you hear that call? You know, the conclusion to this sermon is pretty simple. Once we get to this point, you have a decision to make. I just told you the preacher of this sermon, who he is. He's 100% man. He's 100% God. And you have to decide, how are you going to respond to Jesus? How are you going to relate to him? Will you treat Jesus as a good preacher? A good moral teacher, a good man, if that's all you're going to consider Jesus to be, this sermon is lost on you. If he's just a good teacher, this sermon is lost on you. If that was just a good lesson, this sermon is lost on you. The sermon, I'm not saying this sermon, the sermon he preaches, his most famous sermon. That sermon, I'll take it and leave it. I like this part, that might make my life better, but I'll leave this part behind because I don't really agree with it. If that's who Jesus is to you, the power of this sermon is lost on you. But if you accept Jesus for who he is, and I'm talking about the king. Because when Jesus proclaimed the gospel in places like Mark 1 and Mark 8 and Mark 10, he did not just talk about this gospel as you're saved by grace through faith. Oh, that's so important. That is an incredibly important element in this gospel message. You are saved by grace through faith without any mixture of works. It's the work of Christ for you. But when Jesus proclaimed this gospel, we need to understand that that was just a piece of it. When Jesus proclaimed this gospel, he proclaimed, your king is here. He proclaimed, the kingdom is here. You know what he means by, so by kingdom? It's that realm where he reigns and rules sovereignly. And he's saying, it is among you now. It is present. He said, and I'm your king, and I'm going to die for your sins. That's the example. What's he like? Look at what he's like. All power, all authority, every right belongs to him. And he says, I lay my life down freely for you. I'm going to shed my blood on the cross for your sins, and I'm going to 
pour out my love and my grace upon you, but I'm not going to stay in the grave. He proclaimed the good news that when I die, I will resurrect with power and with glory, proving that I have power over sin and death, and I am who I say that I am. I am the king. I am the God-man. I am God in human flesh. That's who's preaching this sermon to you, church. How will you respond? He covers some hard things in this passage. Man, but here's how he confronts us. What is the response? Here it is. He says, will you repent? Will you turn from living your own way? Will you believe who I am and pledge your allegiance to me? Will you follow me? That's the, oh, draw close, cling to, walk with, become like. You've got to make a choice here. Not just about this sermon, but about the preacher. Who is this man? What do you believe? It determines what you believe about this gospel. It determines the way you will live your life. It determines what you believe and what you will practice. And I implore you, believe that he is king because that's who he is. Believe that he is coming again. Believe that he is sovereign and rules and reigns. And that when he talks about hard things like anger and retaliation, that'll hit some of us like lust and pornography, like adultery, when he talks about things like lies, showing mercy to evil people who treat you poorly, loving your enemy, praying and fasting, when he talks about all these issues, that he's not just a good teacher, that this is your king giving you an imperative. Be like your king. Learn what these beatitudes mean. See the life of God in them and become like Him. More like you. More like you. More like you, Jesus. We want to be more like you because of who you are. Show us your ways so that we can walk in them. We've got to start marinating in this over this series. We've got to start seeing Jesus for who he is. And when we go over one of these beatitudes, we can't take it lightly because it comes from the lips of our king. You want to know what the fruit of someone is, what it starts to look like when you accept Jesus as your king? The first thing that happens is you elevate, you elevate and lift up his word and his teaching, his example. It gets lifted up in your life. It gets elevated. You go, I want to know the rest of this sermon. I'm ready for this series. I want to know what Jesus says because I want it to change me. I want to know his example because I want to be like him. I want to get closer to him so that he rubs off on me and I look more like Jesus. Here's the other fruit, though. Some of you really need this this morning. Your devotion to your own beliefs, thoughts, and opinions greatly diminish. I say this a lot. I'll say it again. Some of you are pretty strong-willed. And you need the Holy Spirit to humble you. 
so that your opinions aren't so important to you. Your beliefs, you go, God, I don't want to, when I encounter the word of God, I just want you to know this, there's times that I feel so conflicted because what I read there doesn't align with how I'm currently thinking. I have a choice to make at that point. Is what I think going to matter most or is what he thinks matters most? If he's king, I just want to know what you think. Tell me how to think about this, Jesus. What would you say in this situation? What would you look like in this situation? How would you respond in this situation? Your own opinions and beliefs, your own ideas, they have to become less important to you as you lift up and exalt the teachings of Jesus. Become like him, more like you, more like you, King Jesus. How will you respond? What will you do with Jesus this morning? This morning, It starts right here in your heart. I know that there are some of you out there who aren't living this way. You're king of your life. Step off the throne. Surrender your heart to King Jesus. Let his teachings, his example, and his spirit change you. It starts with receiving him believing on him for the forgiveness of sins and to receive a new life in him. But once you've done that, it's a daily decision. You have dominion over me, Jesus. You are sovereign over me, Jesus. Whatever you want is what I will do, Jesus. That response needs to be renewed in us again this morning. Whether you've been a Christian for one minute because you just received him through this message, or you've been a Christian for 60 years, you need to renew that heart right now. Jesus, you are king. I want to be more like you. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, that you are 100% man, and as a man you can relate to us and all of our weaknesses and struggles. You're real, we can see you, we can hear your teaching, but God, Jesus, you are more than just a man, you are God. And right now in our hearts, we acknowledge your lordship, we acknowledge your kingship, we choose right now to yield our lives to follow you. Thank you for that call to be in proximity, that your spirit in us and us in you, your life in us and lived through us. Lord, we open our lives and our hearts to you this morning. And we declare, King Jesus, make us more like you.